Hey guys, I'm your host, Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Koalbana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. My latest book, Mei Taisho, Bizarre Incidents from Japan's Past, is now out. If hearing about some of the weird, bizarre, strange, and downright frightening events from the last 100 or so years of Japanese history interests you, then do head over and check it out right now. We also have a brand new design up in the Koobana merchandise store. You can check that out at koobana.store. We have shirts, mugs, stickers, masks, and much more, so do check it out and help support the show at the same time. This week, we're looking at several stories taking place in the many mountains of Japan. First up, a group of friends decide to visit a known local ghost spot, but of course, get a little more than they bargained for. And, it seems, it may have followed them home. Find out why in Abandoned Building in the Mountains. This actually happened to me, although it might not be that scary for you. This terrifying experience happened to me when I was in university, about 20 years ago now. I went to a university in a different prefecture, and joined the athletics club there. One day, I went to a hot spring with fellow club members A, who was in the same year as me, as well as B-san and C-san, who were one year above us. After that, we decided to check out a famous ghost spot nearby. This place was an abandoned building deep in the mountains, pretty far from town. B-san was a local, while the rest of us came from different prefectures. He had already been there once before, so we all went over in his car. Honestly, if you weren't a local, then you would never find it. We drove for 20 or 30 minutes through the mountains, and then there it was. It was dark when we got out of the car, so we grabbed the torches we brought and then entered the building grounds. I remember the building itself was six or seven stories tall. A and I were rather quiet types, while B-san and C-san were known in our club as being rather rowdy and boisterous. And our leader was obviously B-san, the one who came up with the idea to visit this building in the first place. To be honest, I was a bit of a scaredy cat, and I'd had scary experiences in the past, so I wasn't exactly enthusiastic to go. The building was made of concrete and all the windows were broken, plus the grounds were overgrown with weeds. The outside walls were also covered in graffiti. The last time B-san visited this building, there were a bunch of Yankees hanging around, so we discussed what to do in the car if we ran into some as well. If it looks bad, then we should just get the hell out of there. Fortunately, there were no Yankees. We were the only ones there. Just as we were finally about to go inside, I suddenly suggested that we leave instead. Hey! Look, honestly, I'm kinda scared, and I just want to go home. Let's head back, and entering is illegal anyway, I said. Eh? But we came all this way. Huh? What? You're scared? Ghosts don't exist, man. People are scarier than ghosts anyway. Let's just go inside already. No, I want to go home. We're gonna be in deep shit if someone calls the cops. 
Okay, well, you wait in the car then. The three of us will go in. Well, I personally don't mind either way. I'm sorry I'm so scared, okay, but I really want to go home now. Fine, let's go. Bisan, who had been silent the whole time, finally spoke up and agreed with me. But Sisan said that since he had come all this way, he was going to have a quick look around inside first, then ran into the building by himself. Maybe he was scared of being alone, however, as he'd only gone a few metres before he came running straight back. The inside is a mess, but I didn't see anything strange, he said. I really am sorry, I replied. We must have been there for about ten minutes all up. Then we got back in Bisan's car to go home. The mood was somewhat sombre, but I was honestly relieved. And the reason for that? Well, I had seen something from the parking lot. As I was looking at the outside of the building, I saw something fluttering around. At first, I thought it was a flag or something, but slowly the outline of it began to take shape. It was a woman with long hair. Her long hair reached all the way down to her toes, and her arms and legs were abnormally long. Her body was clearly out of balance, and she obviously wasn't a normal person. When our eyes met, she grinned and I could see her white teeth. That was how it felt, anyway. Looking back on it, we were so far away and it wasn't like I had a torch pointed at the roof, so it's strange that I was able to recognise her, but there was no doubt about it. That was a ghost. I realised something dangerous was up there, but I didn't want everyone to panic, so I pretended I just wanted to go home instead. But as we drove home, I looked back and wondered whether it really was a ghost I saw or nothing more than a flag. The car was usually noisy with Bisan and Sisan chatting loudly, but now the mood was dark and I felt a little bad. Bisan spoke as usual, but Sisan seemed a little upset, and there was nothing different about A. Bisan still lived at home with his family, so he dropped the rest of us off at our apartments. First A, then Sisan, and then me. After we arrived at Sisan's house, I remember that he looked kind of empty inside. Then, once it was just Bisan and I, he turned to me. Hey, why did you say you wanted to leave? Huh? Did you see something? Honestly, I saw something strange on the roof. A woman? With long hair? Yes, and long limbs. Seriously? So I wasn't imagining it then. To tell you the truth, I saw it as well. For real? That was the first ghost I've ever seen. I think it was the real deal. The two of us looked at each other and, realising what that meant, a chill ran down my spine. But there's something that's been bothering me, I said. You too? Wait, you as well? 
Don't you think Si-san was acting a little strange on the way home? I did. I'm a little worried. I tried calling Si-san, but his phone was off. He's not answering. Do you think something bad happened to him? I asked. Let's go check on him, B-san said. He turned the car around and we drove back to Si-san's apartment. When we got there, it appeared all the lights were off. Do you think he went to his girlfriend's place? Nah, his moped is still here. We rang the doorbell, but there was no response. The two of us then forced it open and burst inside to find Si-san sitting cross-legged in the kitchen. So you are here, B-san said, looking relieved. What the hell are you doing sitting in the dark like this? He turned the entranceway lights on, and then a chill ran down both our backs. We could see the living room from the kitchen, and there was a small table. But there was something strange on top of it. There were glass cups, bowls, etc. all over it, and each and every one of them was filled with water. Even empty plastic bottles. The table was jam-packed with them. Bisan and I were horrified. I mean, Sisan was just your ordinary, average guy. He never did anything odd like this. Even when we tried to speak to him, he just replied in grunts. It's a little hard to convey in writing, but seeing our normal friend act so weird was honestly terrifying. Panicking, Bisan and I grabbed some salt from the kitchen and then sprinkled it around the room. We made Sisan eat some of it as well. And, at the same time, I apologised deeply to that ghost. I don't really remember what happened after that, but for some reason, we left Si-san's apartment as it was, and then B-san and I went to a family restaurant for the rest of the night. I think we were honestly just terrified. Si-san came to school the next day like nothing had happened, and told us he had no memories of what happened after he got home. Bisan and I agreed not to tell him. And that was the end of the strangeness. I made a promise to myself never to visit another ghost spot ever again. But even now, I wonder just what on earth happened to Sisan that night. Next, a local tale of a monster you most definitely don't want to run into while hunting. Or ever, really. Find out why in Yolko. My grandfather was a hunter, and this is something that happened to him in the past. Whenever I went to visit him in the countryside, he would take me hunting with him. His usual target was wild boars, but he sometimes went after tanuki and birds as well. I don't remember which types. One day, I walked with my grandfather through the mountains as he rested his gun on his shoulder. I'll make a delicious boar stew for you today, he said even though I wouldn't eat a freshly shot boar. Before long, we heard a sound nearby like an animal rustling. My grandfather told me to hide behind him because it was dangerous, so I ducked behind him and peeked out, but he didn't look like he was attempting to shoot anything at all. Normally, he would leave me behind and run off, but this time, he was frozen on the spot, 
with his gun only half at the ready. I was rather short at the time, so I was unable to see what animal was hiding behind the bushes. What is it? A boar? Tanuki? I asked my grandfather, extremely curious, but he said nothing. He just kept staring at the bushes. It's... He finally said, but when he did, suddenly the rustling started again. Stop! He screamed, and then fired a single shot at the bushes. He then picked me up and ran as fast as he could away from the area. I had absolutely no idea what was going on, but I was so scared that I was about to cry. Still, I wanted to know what my grandfather fired at, so I turned to look. In the distance, I saw what looked like a red monkey without any fur, and it was running towards us. Grandpa was running with me in his arms while desperately trying to load his gun at the same time. When he was done, he turned and fired, with me still in his arms. The gun went off right next to me, so there was a loud ringing in my ears and everything sounded so far away. Grandpa kept running while loading another round. I was so scared that I couldn't even turn to look back again. I could hear an animal scream behind me and then my grandfather started muttering. Help me. Help me. At the very least, save my boy. Once we reached the bottom of the mountain, my grandfather still didn't stop. He ran all the way home holding me. As soon as we got inside, my grandfather screamed at my grandmother. It's Yoko! My grandmother went pale and then ran to the kitchen. She grabbed some salt and sake and then threw the salt at us like a sumo wrestler sprinkling salt before a match and poured the sake over us like a team winning the baseball championship. After that, neither my grandmother nor my grandfather said anything about what happened. My grandfather passed away shortly after that, and it was then that my grandmother told me about Yoko. What you saw was a mountain kami, so to speak. But for us, it's not a good kami. Your grandfather died in your place. So please, I beg of you, live your life to the fullest. My grandmother also passed away soon after that, and now I'm living a healthy life in my late 20s. What I saw in the mountains that day may have been a yokai whose story was passed down in the village, but even now, my family still refuses to talk about it. This story is from a village in Fukui Prefecture. I decided to do a little googling on yoko, and I found this copy-paste. Yuyu a mysterious animal. This creature is from Komami, Sakuradani village, Fugai County, and is mentioned in the old records of Echu. Yoyu, a mysterious animal, a type of wolf. It can be found in the Koko Sendatsuroku by Nozaki Masaaki. A mountain priest was climbing an old hill on Mount Kudeha late one night when a pack of wolves started to follow him. As he climbed a tall tree, the wolves piled on top of each other, and an old woman straddled the top and reached out for him, trying to pull him down. The man took out his short sword and cut the woman's arm at the elbow, and the wolves beneath her collapsed as well. 
The next morning, the old woman entered Yo Yu's house in Komami village to rest up. The old woman cried in pain from her wound, but when she saw the mountain priest, she fled and was never seen again. This creature can also be found in Yanagita Kunio's collection of tales from the southeast. Apparently, it's a creature from the mountains of Toyama, but Fukui is close by and they're both from the Hokuriku region. Maybe the name Yoko comes from this Yoyu, because it somewhat resembles a monkey that lives in the mountains, then it has to be Yoko, right? What do you guys think? Be careful what you pick up in the mountains. It might have terrifying consequences. Find out why in Katari. This is a story about some mountain climbing buddies. When they visited a certain mountain one day, one of them told a story regarding that particular mountain. Deep in the forest here, they say you can hear the muttering of a voice. And if you dare to tread inside, then you'll find an old skull on the ground. And inside that skull, there's said to be a purple serpent-like creature wriggling around. If you get even closer, then you'll discover that it's not actually a snake, but rather a thick, slimy tongue. And if you get even closer than that, then you can make out what this skull is actually saying. Supposedly, this skull can predict all sorts of bad things that are about to happen. The old folks call this skull Katari. My oh my, what a story it is. And they say that if you use the skull well, then you can avoid future calamities. But if you listen to it too much, then it will state one final thing before falling quiet. Once that happens, the skull will never speak again. Before you know it, it crumbles into nothing. Everyone says that if you ever see it, then you should run the other way and not get involved. And as for the final thing it says, Curious, the friend asked. If you're unlucky enough to be the one there when it speaks its last words, then you'll hear the date of your own death, the man said with a wince. This tale is followed by a similar one that the original poster was reminded of when reading Katari online for himself. This one's called Death Date Prediction. I was reminded of this story after I read the tale of Katari. Apparently, my great-grandfather was told the day of his death by something that looked like a large monkey when he was picking vegetables on a mountain one day. Your life will only last until this day and this month, the monkey said in a friendly manner, and as my great-grandfather stared at it in amazement, it disappeared back into the mountain with a large grin. But perhaps unexpectedly for the monkey, even as a youngster, my great-grandfather was rather forgetful. Within a week, he had already forgotten the date he was supposed to die on. Apparently, he didn't care, and he ended up living quite a long, full life. 
This was the story he told while he was still alive. He died 10 years ago, when I was 13. He was an active old man, but naturally, as he got older, he started to get a little slow and sometimes could be found wandering around the neighborhood. But he was never bedridden and went about his life as normal as he could. Then one day, he went to have a bath and was found dead. It was a peaceful death, and even at the funeral with all the family, the mood was calm. Well, the monkey's prediction wasn't necessarily wrong, some people joked. But later, when going through his belongings, we found the diary he wrote when he was young. I was a little worried that I kept forgetting so many things, so I decided to keep a diary. But then I forgot where I put the diary, ha 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 he said while still alive. Oh, Grandpa, I said with a laugh, and I flicked through the pages of it with my great-uncles. The diary was in a metal lunchbox in the closet, for some reason. But then, I found the page where he wrote about the monkey's prediction. When I went up the mountain to collect some royal ferns, I found a large monkey perched atop a mossy rock. This monkey said I would die this many years later, on this date and this month. The smile it gave me really ground my gears, and it acting so friendly with me really pissed me off as well. That's why I've decided I won't die on the date it told me. My great-grandfather died on the day following the day the monkey told him. Even now, We still talk about how he might have forgotten the date, but still stuck to his guns until the very end. If this show has taught us anything, it's that there are terrifying rituals all over the country, and especially in the mountains. And this one, well, find out what happens in... I can't write much, please understand. This is my mother's story. I can't write too many details, so please understand. The names are aliases as well. When my mother was a child, she lived deep in the mountains of Tokushima Prefecture. One day, all her relatives gathered at her house for an important discussion, so both my mother and her older brother went to bed in the next room early. But she couldn't sleep and she heard her grandfather's voice coming from the next room. Yoko, my mother, is still too young, so Ioki won't be pleased. We should send Harumi, my mother's cousin. My mother had no idea what they were talking about, but she felt like she'd been saved from something terrible. The next day, Harumi's parents returned home, their eyes red and swollen. A week later, they heard that Harumi went up the mountain and had died. My mother's parents whispered about it to each other before disappearing to her grandfather's room. A funeral was quietly held for her, and my mother's older brother was one of the pallbearers. At the time, he said, The coffin was so light, it was like no one was inside. After that, my mother, her brother, and their parents left the village. It was like they were skipping out of town. 
When my mother remembered what happened, she said, After we ran out, the rest of our relatives went mad and set out to catch us. We had nowhere to go, so we ran to our small shack up on the mountain. Then Harumi's father came running towards us with a torch. But when he saw us, he told us to run. My parents bowed their head at him over and over, and picking me up, they ran. My mother told me all this when I turned 20. She told me about what happened at the village, but other than that, she said she couldn't say anything. She's worried that if this story gets out, the rest of the family will find out where we are. But these days, our family is living a bright and happy existence. Knowing that my mother had such an experience in her past, it's amazing that she can live so happily now. This story was also followed by someone else sharing their scarily similar experience. Are the two stories related? Find out in... Iyoki-sama. I was drinking with my uncle when I returned home for a memorial service one day, when he drunkenly told me a story. You know, this household has long taken part in a strange tradition. I don't know if it was related, but my grandmother used to say that the lord of the area gave our family the right over life and death in a particular region. My uncle then told me about a ritual that involved choosing a girl before she got her first period and then sacrificing her to the mountain oni. He didn't know the full details of this ritual himself, but it seemed there were quite a few people who didn't like the tradition, and so they fled during the night. I didn't believe it was true, but the story sounded intriguing. And as for our family home, well, it wasn't one of those big ones you often hear about in scary stories, nor did it have a storehouse or anything. It was just a regular countryside home. But, curious, I asked my mother about the story the next day, and she gave me an unexpected answer. Oh yeah, I've heard of that, she said, excited like a child. Apparently my father's mother, so her mother-in-law, had told her the story, but she just told it like it was a scary summer night's tale. My mother didn't believe it was true either, but she told me what she knew. The girl for the ritual was chosen from amongst the family. She was taken up the mountain at night, wrapped in string, and then dangled down a well near the summit. When they pulled her out about three days later, there would be almost nothing but bones left. My grandmother, my mother's mother-in-law, was a smart woman and said it was probably just because of insects or small animals hiding in the well, but other adults believed it was actually the work of a kamisama they called Ioki, written with the characters for stone and oni. I listened in amazement, thinking how different the times were back then. When I returned home and told my husband about the story, he seemed excited too. Ah, I've read a story just like that on the internet. He dug it up and showed it to me. It was called Ioki. The stories really were similar, and even the area was the same. 
Ah, I should have gone too, he said, and seemed disappointed he wasn't there to hear the story firsthand. I thought that this strange ritual had nothing to do with me, but thinking about the fact I have that same blood running through my veins, well, it's a little frightening. I wonder if they kill the girl first before putting her down there. And to end this week's episode, we have part four in the My Friend in the Tape series. T finally visits the cave, and things are certainly getting strange. Find out why in... My Friend in the Tape 4. This is B, and this is the follow-up to My Friend in the Tape 3. I'm submitting what T wrote in the summer of 2012 in his stead. I visit the pharmacy M-Charm works at every week just to see her. She is beautiful beyond words. The Bon Holidays of 2012. I had gotten used to ignoring the warning bells ringing in my head since before Golden Week, but the time to finally make a decision was getting closer. One year had passed since E's death. I couldn't just let things end without understanding why. I designed and installed a one-off intake manifold and exhaust manifold, replaced the throttle and turbine, and reset the ECU in my car. It was quieter, more powerful, and more fuel efficient. I then drove back to my parents' house. This time, I would be staying there for a whole week. My schedule was rather packed. First day was a party. Second and third days, I'd visit the cave. The fourth, fifth, and sixth days, we'd go camping. And then, on the seventh day, I would return home. Feeling more energetic than usual, I was still quite alert when I arrived back home, so I lit some incense for E, then told him my plans. I'm sorry I never listened to you, but I'm going to see for myself. Suddenly, the vase in his altar fell over, and the incense broke. If you're E, then don't worry about me. If you're my guardians, then shut up and watch over me. That was how I felt in the moment, and then I left his house. I had a fitting test with the masks I asked my mother for before the party, and I regretted being a cheapskate and not asking for N100s instead. I loaded my car with a sleeping bag, stove, hatchet, crowbar, climbing rope, portable stove, food, water, lantern, folding shovel, with a pickaxe, and the masks. I was ready to go. I decided I'd take my bike to the party, like always, and took C's helmet with me. When I got there, D gave me a strange Buddha statue as a souvenir, but the moment I grabbed it, the head fell off. I picked it up and put it in my pocket. Where on earth did he go? You're about to do something, aren't you? D suddenly said. Once again, he saw right through me. Well, it is my job as manager. I can't live like I'm one of the low-level employees, I said, covering it up with work talk. He looked like he wanted to say something, but then my phone rang. C wanted me to pick her up. Her mother stopped me when I arrived at their house. We were in the middle of our get-together, but still, she invited me in for tea and snacks. And C wasn't even ready yet. When I was done catching up with her mother, C was finally ready to go. And, once we were all together, 
we got to talking about the camp. We've found a great place for this year's camp, I said. Where? Dee asked. It's got a hot spring, A replied. For real? It's about a two-hour walk from the car, though, A continued. T sent me a message with the coordinates and asked me to check it out. How did you find it? B asked. I like little-known hot springs, I replied. You can find them on topographical maps. Often they're dried up, but if someone brings a shovel, we can dig a bath. Hey, you remember a girl from high school called F, right? D suddenly said. Do you mind if I bring her along? Ah, the girl from D's class with the big... Yeah, sure, okay. We then went home for the night, everyone excited that we now had another lady joining us. But before taking C home, we did our now customary pillow change. This became a regular thing around the time I left home to go to university. They took my pillow when I first moved out, but when I told them that put me in a bad spot, they said I should just bring a regular pillow that I used for half the year. Thankfully, they returned them after being cleaned. I took C back home and then got my fluffy pillow. As I turned the lights off and got into bed, I saw the shadow of a person in my old TV that I used to use. The power cord was sitting on the top of it. These sorts of warning signs had been popping up a lot in recent weeks, but I tried to ignore them and went to sleep. Game day, 4am. I left a note on the table. I'll be back tomorrow night, probably. I stopped my car in the parking lot and then looked for the entrance to the abandoned road. The area about a metre from the road was overgrown with weeds, but it looked passable after that, so I decided to drive in. I did a U-turn partway in, and then reversed. Using the rearview camera, I checked the path on the screen, and a section of the road about 50 centimetres wide had been wiped away from flooding, so I stopped the car. I got out and noticed so much soil had settled that it buried the guardrails. This made it hard to tell, but it seemed I'd arrived at the bridge. I'd lose my car if the bridge collapsed, so I moved it back off and then went down towards the river. According to what E wrote, I had to follow the river for about 20 minutes, but I reached the top of the waterfall in 15. I took out the climbing rope and then descended. The cave really was there. Seeing it with my own eyes, it looked bigger than I expected. I washed my face in the clear water and then sighed. I was finally here. 12pm. I settled in front of the cave and unpacked. I gathered some firewood for that night, cleaned up, put on the mask, and then went into the cave. As E said, the back of the cave looked like natural rock from the entrance, but up close, it was made of crumbling bricks. This was the right place. My excitement grew. I reached the back room and checked the altar. Although it looked man-made, there were no signs it had been carved out. I examined the sarcophagus, careful not to touch it, but I couldn't see any joints anywhere. If there had been a lid, then I could have used my crowbar to open it. I used my knife to try to cut a piece off so I could examine what it was made of, but 
I couldn't cut anything off. I hit it with the crowbar, and it sounded hollow. What else could I do? I hit it as hard as I could to try to make a hole. The tip shattered with the first blow. If it was something physical that killed E, then I had to keep my mask on to examine the inside. But if it was something spiritual, like M said, then there was no way my guardian spirits would stay quiet. Regardless of which it was, I was ready. As the one metre crowbar started to reach its limit, there was a crack and the hole finally opened. The moment I went to peer inside, something hazy floated out of it. At the same time, I heard what sounded like a scream and my vision flickered. I was so dizzy that I could no longer stand and I fell down against the sarcophagus. You fool! I told you to stop! In my daze, I heard an angry voice and then I passed out. I don't know how long I was out for, but eventually I woke up. I had no energy and was racked by chills, and the alarm bells that had been ringing since before Golden Week were gone. There was nothing like the voices E mentioned in his logs though. My mind was remarkably clear. This was different to what E said. Was it over? I crawled outside, took my mask off, and took a deep breath. Finally able to get some air, but being unable to stand up at the same time, I let out a bitter laugh. The sun was setting. The clock on my phone said it was just after 6pm. I made a fire and cooked some blocks of meat, and then I boiled some water for coffee. The food gave me a little strength back, and then I set my alarm for 9pm and got into bed. Before 11pm, the alarm awoke me up and I had regained some strength. I added more wood to the fire so it wouldn't go out, and then went back into the cave. I looked inside the sarcophagus, but it was empty. I touched it, but nothing happened. Putting some pieces that had chipped off into a case, I retrieved the now-bent crowbar and then left. In order to seal the room, I would have to tie the ropes into a pulley system to move some large rocks. By the time I was done, it was morning. I cleaned all traces that I had been there, and then went back to my car. As soon as I sat down, I burst into tears of both relief and accomplishment. When I reached an area where I could get phone service again, I got several messages. I pulled over to check. They were from M and C. Starting from 1.30 the day before, she sent five messages every few hours. They all said the same thing. Please contact me. I'd sent her a few messages and spoken on the phone a few times since Golden Week, but she'd never sent such short, brief messages like this before. What happened? What did you do? She kept saying when I called her. Look, I'll come see you soon. It'll take me about three hours, I said politely and made my way towards her pharmacy. When I got there, she was waiting in a white coat. She rushed over to me with a surprised look on her face. Why is your grandmother the only one here? Huh? Exactly what I said. Why is your grandmother the only guardian spirit here? And what's wrong with your face? 
I was born with it. Sorry, I'm not that good looking. That's not what I mean. Don't you feel sick? You're so pale. Can you stand? When I got out of the car, I fell to my knees. The image of a man falling to his knees in front of a beautiful woman was so embarrassing that I could have died. No, I can't, I said, and M went back into the store before returning with her mother. They carried me to their house out the back. Wait, I have to move the car, I said, but M stopped me. I'll do it. I drive a manual, so it's fine. Ah, you left it running, so that's why you're worried, she said, and then ran towards the car. Hey, wait, I tried to scream. Em's mother and I waited in silence as various bangs and crashes came from the direction of my car. Is everything okay? I said, trying to rush over, but I fell back down again. Could I look any more pathetic? Em's mother ran to the rescue. While things weren't exactly okay, she managed to stop the car right by the edge of the wall. She looked pale after having her first accident. I'm so sorry, she apologised, but I asked her to start the engine again so I could at least check it. There was no sound of compression leakage, so it seemed to be okay. After checking everything else, it seemed perfectly fine. It would still run. At a glance, the bumper looked like it was going to fall off, but some tie wraps would hold it over. M didn't appear to be injured, and I refused to call the police about it or take money for the repairs. Then we went inside the house. M's mother put out some bedding in the guest room, and I sat down on it. I also refused the hospital because I had plans to go shopping for our camping trip that evening. M's mother, who was very apologetic, told me she was happy I was so concerned about her and M rather than the condition of my car, and then went back to the pharmacy, which she had left open. M, meanwhile, curled up and was about to cry. Our conversation was going nowhere. I laid down, sleeping after being on the move all night. Have you ever heard of the Buddhist saying, all worldly things are transitory? There's something similar in the tale of Heike, The sound of Gion Shoja bells echoes the impermanence of all things. All things will eventually break. It just happened to be today, so don't worry about it. And it still works just fine, I said. But there's a difference between something breaking and breaking something yourself. Your car is important to you, isn't it? Em said. I felt myself getting angry. It wasn't like you did it on purpose, was it? But look, I'm going to go to sleep, so in exchange, you can hold my hand. Then we'll call it even. I fell asleep immediately, like three seconds after the conversation was done. I woke up feeling something strange on my face. Em's face was right next to mine, surprising me. Not to mention, she was looking right at me. It was honestly kind of scary. I didn't ask her to actually lie down with me, but at any rate, we continued the conversation. Apparently, the two figures and one animal that were my guardian spirits had apparently reduced to just one, my grandmother. 
and her power was also weakening and she was on the verge of disappearing. The other figure and the animal were also greatly weakened, so they had probably returned to the shrine to recuperate, she said. But they weren't disconnected from each other. Something like a thin umbilical cord connected them all. She also said that because they existed through people's faith and the number of worshippers had decreased in recent times, it would probably take them even longer to recover. Also, because their power and my power was proportionate, I was now weaker than the average person. I would later feel the terrible effects of this during the camp. But basically, M could no longer make contact with the Guardian spirits and the information she was receiving was apparently only one way, so the best she could do was guess from that. Why are they sending you this information? I asked. Because when I saw them in the second grade, they realised I could see them too, she said. The reason she messaged me the day before was apparently because of my grandmother as well. She then said she could sense something strange in my car, and got out of bed so she could take a look at the pieces of sarcophagus that I brought back. I could stand. I felt perfectly fine. I looked at the clock, and it was 1pm. Apparently, I'd been asleep in their house for four hours. I laughed at how shameless I was, and wondered if perhaps the bed was hot. Em's blouse was covered in sweat, and her face red. She kind of looked like a combination of Evergreen from Dark Shadows and Kawakita Mayuko from Hitori Kakurembo. You can let go of my hand now, I said, but she replied that she was unsure if I'd fall down again. I thanked her mother, returned to the car, checked the mirror to see if the colour was returning to my face, and then took the case out. The pieces were gone. It was a waterproof case with a lock that could be used for diving. There was no way the contents could just disappear. M said she could sense something coming from it as well, but because it had disappeared, she couldn't tell anything more than that. We were both stunned. M's mother then suggested the three of us have lunch together. We hadn't even introduced ourselves by that point, so we did just that. I told her that we grew up in the same school district, but only recently had become friends. I heard, M's mother said with an elegant smile. M has looked very happy when she speaks of it lately. After lunch, I borrowed M's charger to charge my dead phone, then sent C a message. I need to fix my car, so help me out. If you're free, then come get me. Her dad was going to pick me up in his car. Before hanging up, M took the phone and told C all sorts of things she didn't need to, like how she caused the accident and how I couldn't even stand up. Before leaving, I told M to call me if anything happened and, even if there was nothing wrong, to just give me a call once in a while anyway. Then I returned home. Don't forget to check out Mei Taisho. Bizarre Incidents from Japan's Pass, out on Amazon right now. And check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord.
You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Japan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to kowabana.net now.